I am happy to be here today. It's so nice to come to Ventura after living in L.A. for too many years. <laughs> to see the ocean, to see the pier, to see the small community, and they gather here today to hear about happiness, how to be happy, how to avoid sadness. Now, the Buddha said, he said, one of the problems with trying to be happy is we have some issues. And those issues prevent us from realizing the happiness that's always there and has always been there. So if you try to seek happiness outside, sooner or later you're going to be disappointed. Some of the issues are greed, lust, Hatred, delusion. These are really big issues because this makes up a great part of our life. And we're faced with waking up to the fact that they are there and we don't have to be them. So I'm going to talk about the five hindrances that prevents us from finding our happiness. Number one, big one, sense, door, desire. Sense, door, desire. See, we have these sense doors, the eye and the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, the mind, thinking. And these sense doors are always attracted to beauty or pleasant sounds or a nice smell or a good taste and they drive us. It's like the carrot at the end of the stick. And we keep running after all our sense door desires, thinking that once we achieve them, once we hold them and grasp them, that we will be happy. And everything will be okay. Well, everything will be okay inside, but you know what? It's never going to be okay outside. It's a constant struggle manipulating and changing the outside to have it reflect our inside. So back in the 1980s, to give you a personal example of sense door desire, back in the 1980s, I was meditating on a regular basis, finding out about myself in so many interesting and unusual ways. And during the meditation, which lasted an hour and a half, sometimes my mind would wander. <laughs> and it would wander to Rhino Records. <laughs> the blues section. Half price. And I thought to myself, all I need to do is get through this meditation and I can go through that front door of Rhino Records and satisfy all my desires for hearing really cool and great music. So I would hear the gong, I'd get in my car, and I'd drive to Rhino Records. 
And it was so much fun to go through all the new releases and the old used CDs, and I'd buy two or buy three. I found that my meditation practice was costing me a lot of money. <laughs> that if I stopped meditating, I could save hundreds of dollars. <laughs> But then I realized, well, maybe it's just this darn desire that keeps arising, distracting me from what I'm doing right now, from the work at hand, which is simply watching everything arise. And the desire for records arose, and I identified with that. It was me thinking about the records. But then it got to the point where it was just thinking. And then I started to analyze what a record is, or what a CD is, or what music is. And would it really change my life for more than a few moments, a few minutes, a few days? So one of the techniques that I like to use when I'm faced with sense door desire is say, who desires it? Is there an essence or an independent activity that's called me that reacts to that? Or is it simply a process that occurs because mind now is taken over by desire and attachment? And if there's no one really there who wants or desires the CD, who goes into the front door of Rhino Records? Is it simply an illusion? A false sense of self? Something that arose because part of me was bored and wanted to do something more exciting or be more challenged or be more stimulated? And ultimately, I came to the place in my practice when those sense door desires arose, I would say to myself, you know what? I'm going to die. And I'm going to have a whole CD collection just sitting there without anybody paying attention or caring. And they'll be just thrown away. So what's the point? If I'm going to die, what's the point of owning anything? The point of owning things is because it allows us to feel alive. But also... More importantly, it gives us something to do. So I have come to the conclusion that I don't really own anything. I just use a lot of stuff. <laughs> and one day, I'll just let somebody else use it. It'll be fine. The second hindrance is ill will, discontent oftentimes created by an object, person, or circumstance. And we have a tension that's been created because we know it could be better. That person was trying to take advantage of me. I wish I wasn't here. I wish I was there and I'm not. All the things that make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. There's a mental aspect of ill will. And then there's a physical aspect of ill will. 
And sometimes the physical aspect can surprise you. It did me. One day I was walking down the street in my neighborhood, and I just happened to glance down at my right hand for some reason, and it was clenched. All the tension I had been feeling at a sort of a subconscious level had gone into that right hand, and it was clenched. And I was a little stiff and uncomfortable, and my breathing wasn't relaxed. It was sort of, it was sort of baited, if you will, just little short breaths. I was concerned, I was angry about something that wasn't occurring at all in my immediate environment. I was sort of making it up, I suppose, either hoping it wouldn't happen or wishing it hadn't happened. So how do you get past that? How do you go past ill will? Because there's so many reasons not to like what's going on. Number one, you're going to die. It doesn't matter. Get over it. Number two, that's sort of a drastic way of looking at your life. But number two, how about a little kindness? You know what the Dalai Lama said about his religion? He said, my religion is kindness. Can I figure out how to be kind in every situation? Is there a way to do that? Do I need to practice? Do I need to find myself or put myself in those situations so I can practice? So I can be more aware? And this awareness is a big deal because oftentimes all this stuff is happening and we're unaware that it's us involved in this process. It's either a feeling or an emotion or a thought. And we start to see the physical attributes of that and go, whoa. And then we see the mental attributes. Vengeance. That person made me angry. I'm going to make them angry. I'm going to show them because I am important. And then you say to yourself, well, what is this I thing again? Who's there? Who keeps popping up? Who keeps defending these mental states as being true and important? That's the big question. That's oftentimes why people get ordained, just so they're able to spend more time on figuring out who the heck is there? <laughs> and do I have to be that person or do I have choices? Can I not be that person? Can I just wait until that person finally extinguishes and the next person arises? Moment by moment, arising, existing, and passing away. Agitation and worry. Oftentimes a future concept, sometimes past, rarely what's going on right now. I'm concerned about what might happen. I'm concerned about rents going up and cars being more expensive. And if I can work or can't work, I'm, ex I'm worried. Because there's a lot of stuff going on that I don't have control of. I think I do. I did everything I was supposed to do not to worry, 
maybe retirement. You think, okay, I got, I got my 401k, I've got my stocks, I've got my bank account, I've got all the stuff necessary. I've got the four legs of a good retirement plan. And then one of the legs just breaks. And you go, wow, what am I going to do now? How am I going to get through this? And we think of all the worst-case scenarios of how it's going to be, how it's unavoidable, and I will always be the victim. And then you start to look around and you say to yourself, if you're 50, 60, or 70, gosh, you know, I've been around for a long time. There's been a lot of stuff not going well in my life the whole time. And somehow it worked out. Somehow I was able to find the answer. There was a workaround. Something I didn't notice. That because of the impending doom of my situation, my clarity increased tenfold. And there it was. There was the solution. How cool. I would have never known before until I started worrying and became anxious enough for that clarity to get fine-tuned. We're at number four now. Sloth and Tolper. <laughs> being lazy, being indifferent. There's a physical aspect, there's a mental aspect. Now the physical aspect is fairly easy to deal with. I find that afternoon nap is the answer for me. I'm a little lazy before the nap, and I'm invigorated after the nap. I'm going, okay, cool. If I miss my nap, though, it becomes a problem. I become a little bit lethargic. I'm not sure I want to do that or go someplace. I don't know if I have the energy, you know. So what I did in my own personal life is I bought one of those stationary bicycles so I could be active and go nowhere. Because really, there's no place to go anyway, you know. So I just pedal for 20 minutes or a half hour, and that blood starts circulating, and everything just feels better physically. But now the mind is still, you know, lazy. How do you, how do you get past that? How do you wake up? Well, there's a really interesting technique. It's called sympathetic joy. It's finding happiness and success in the happiness and success of others. It's a way to sort of stimulate yourself, to reconnect to the world around you, to know that you're not in this alone, that you will always have at least seven billion hanging in with you in all the situations you find. And one of the incentives I like to use is, I'm going to die. <laughs> I don't have time to just sit around and think about it. i got to do stuff. There's like a lot of stuff to do. And one day I won't want to do it for sure, and one day I won't be able to do it. So today's the best day I'm ever going to have. This is going to be the best day of my life. Because once you reach middle age, it's all downhill and it really speeds up. 
So don't procrastinate. Just do it, as Nike would say. Now we come to the last one, number five. This is a tough one because this enters in our, into our life every day. It is skeptical doubt, not being sure, sitting on the fence. Should I do this? Should I do that? And all the while, you're not doing anything. And again, we don't have that much time. We need to do it. We need to make a commitment to either one side or the other, but not sit on the fence. And I thought to myself, well, you know, how do you, how do, you do that if you're really afraid to make the next move, if you're not quite sure? Well, sometimes you need to think about it this way. Even if I had all the information necessary to make the perfect choice, in the very next moment, it would change. Because everything would be different. It would be the first time again. So then I'd have to rethink everything because of all the new information, and then it would change again. And will we ever have enough information to make the perfect choice? We will not. But sometimes those bad choices are opportunities in disguise. Sometimes that perfect choice turns out to be the wrong choice. And we say to ourselves, how could I have been so stupid as to choose that when it turned out this way? Good intentions aren't necessarily enough. So, do you not make a choice? If you never want to make a mistake, don't make a choice. But if you want to have a life, you have to have faith and confidence in yourself, also in the situation. Now, to relate a story about sitting on the fence. Back in the 19... 70s, I went to a Buddhist Peace Fellowship meeting. And it was held at the Zen Center of Los Angeles. And it was after a seven-day retreat. So most of the people at this meeting had just come out of retreat. And we talked about a few things. And then we decided to go out and get a little snack, fast food restaurant. So we walked down the street and we sat there and looked at ourselves, and then we stood in line for a while, and what do we want? And the first meditator who had been part of that retreat went to the counter to give his order. And there was silence. He couldn't figure out what he wanted. He saw all the options, but he saw all the consequences from those options <laughs> and wasn't sure which consequence he wanted that day. And then the next one went up. And he, too, was confused about what to get because he saw it too clearly. He saw the big picture, not the little picture. And he took forever to make his choice. And I went up, and I just ordered because I hadn't meditated. And I knew exactly what I wanted, and I was fine. <laughs> so when I see people hesitant about making their choices, Sometimes they just haven't given it enough pre-thought 
or sometimes too much pre-thought. And sometimes you just got to go out and make that choice and then go along for the ride. Because one day, you'll be dead. (laughs) And it won't matter what choice you made. Maybe burial or cremation will be the final choice. I don't know. But either one is good enough. So as I look at these five hindrances, the five things, roadblocks to our happiness, I think to myself, my greatest joy, the thing that brings me the most happiness in life at this point in my life, is paradox. That this whole world, this whole life we live, is just one big paradox. And it's supposed to be this way, and it's this way, and I'm supposed to be this way, and I'm that way, and will I ever resolve that? And you know what? At some point, you just have to smile and say, don't know. The wisest people don't know anything. The wisest people don't say anything. Doesn't say much for me. (laughs) So we go out into the world every day. And our world is being created moment by moment with who we think we are and what we're supposed to do. And now that I'm sort of semi-retired and not doing as much, I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do. And I was at Food for Less buying cat food, and one of the clerks came up and told me what I was doing. And it was a revelation. I didn't realize I was doing that. She said, you're doing errands. My life is just doing errands now. I have no firm commitment to any long-term ideal. I just get up and do errands all day. And sleep well. So I can recommend to you, be happy. It's going to come and go. Don't get too attached when it's there. Don't have too much aversion or sadness when it goes. It sometimes happens because of the outside stimulating the inside. But the Buddha said everything is impermanent. Everything is ultimately unsatisfactory. And you're not in charge. So even happiness ultimately becomes unsatisfactory because it doesn't last forever. Be happy. Thank you for listening.